Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the My Love of Golf podcast. And I discussed recently maybe talking about some product. And uh, that's basically been a request that's come directly from some of the listeners that have been uh, very active in the requesting the types of information they'd like to hear the podcast expand to. So I thought we'd take some time with one of the guys that I know, one of the Friends of the podcast uh, and a former guest, um, Tim Wise, PGA Golf Professional and Cobra Representative at Large, to join me this week on the My Love of Golf podcast for what will hopefully be the first of a number of product-related podcasts. So we've got a couple of topics that we'd like to talk about and just a general chat with one of the good, good guys of the, of the industry here in Australia and funny man... Not a funny man that you'll meet and uh, a very talented man at that. Let's uh, cue the music. So sit back, relax, listen to uh, Timmy and I have a chat. Enjoy this week's podcast about product. Timmy Wise, how are you? Are you there? I'm here, Roscoe. Thanks for having me back. Um, good to hear that uh, the public have spoken and they're bored of listening to washed up old golf pros like me and then now they want to hear about good stuff like products. <laughs> washed up, never. No, I'll let you know that the Tim Wise episode is still one of the often downloaded episodes and I still have a number of people come by and, and tell me that they've listened to your story and they... Uh, enjoyed it a lot and they always learn something about you and the, the guys that do know you Tim always learn something that they didn't know so that's uh, a nice bit of feedback that I keep getting so thank you and as I said friend of the podcast but your knowledge spans far and wide in the terms of uh, teaching golf and fitting golf clubs and just a, a general all-round bon vivant of and font of knowledge for uh, golf club fitting. So I thought we should spend some time talking about some of the topics, um, and we won't cover them all today, so we can just talk about a couple, but a couple of ones that I certainly get asked about a lot, and it seems to be the source of uh, a bit of confusion or just a, a lack of understanding with the general golfing population. Now, there's always people that are you know experts in the field and, and know, but let's talk about wedges for a start. Tim, before we get on to talking about a bit of uh, the new Cobra product that's coming out, and I'm sure the listeners would love to hear a little bit about the new Cobra gear, but let's just talk generically about wedges and wedge fitting, and I guess the importance of those topics and and how they fit into you know the, the, the listeners' world of updating their golf clubs and and what they should be thinking when looking at wedges, wedge sets, wedges individual, wedge fittings. That's what I'm thinking, Timmy. So, I guess let's roll. Yeah. Let's roll with that. So, what's changed in the world of wedges? If we roll the clock back 10, 15 years, maybe when uh, when uh, Mr. Cleveland, I guess, invented the Cleveland five eight eight. What's happened since that time? What have we seen? 
Yeah, it's been it's been the interesting time. Obviously, um, a lot of companies are doing very good wedges. Um, the one thing that I don't think we have seen yet um, is really the wedge bidding go to that next level. Um, there's there's definitely in terms of bounces more options out and about, um, more not just sole designs but but head designs, and you've seen things like the Mickelson grind and the high toe, um, different materials being used um, you know, without going too much into copper. But we've used a introduced a MIM wedge, which is a, I guess a, a molded wedge that feels like a, a forged wedge. So it um, the way that it's cast allows it to be softer and with um, less imperfection. So you know. The consumer out there certainly has a great option when looking at wedges, and it's then about trying to find something that's going to improve their game. And you know, we know how important from a hundred yards in is um, playing golf, and you know, different places to play creates different problems and different opportunities. So, um, I suppose since I was seventeen, I've pretty much lived on the sand belt and played sand belt golf um, and had my wedges, you know, customised for sand belt golf. And, you know, growing up playing a Woodlands golf course with tight fairways and firm bunkers, um, it was always you know, about trying to get as little bounce as possible. Um, and even back then, we kind of knew, you know, what we were trying to do with the bounce. Um, but, you know, I suppose not much about, you know, how to fit it for the everyday golfer, um, as opposed to, you know, the high-level golfer. So, so um, before we get into bounce, I guess there's one one thing, and we'll talk, we'll, you know, I'm going somewhere with this. Let's talk about gap. Can we talk about gapping first? You know, that, that yeah. is another area that's changed a lot relative to the wedges, the wedge setups, but the, the iron setups with the, you know, um, decreasing loft of a pitching wedge and the modern modern lofted set, you know, which is now playing at around anywhere between, depending on the set, um, you know, 44, 46, 44 to 46 degrees of loft. You know, what, what, what's the, the gapping, um, the importance of gapping like and, and what should someone be looking at? You know, let's say that they're not excessively long, so they might carry a few more clubs in the top end. So they might only have room for two wedges past a past a pitching wedge. What past would, the pitching what, wedge. Yeah, what would their gapping look like? Yeah, again, so if you've got a again a forty six degree pitching wedge, um, and and we have new product coming out with a forty four degree pitching wedge, you know, if you're to go, you know, only two wedges past that, um, and try and keep the gapping, you, you're going to need to go into six degree increments, so you're going to need to go, you know, 44, 50, 56, which, again, then doesn't give you much versatility in hitting that higher, softer shot. So, um, you know, gapping's really important. Um, I've always tried to keep four degrees gap um, through my wedges, through pitching wedge um, gap sand blob. Um, And I think if you can keep that, then you get the best of both worlds. Uh, if you need to drop one out, then you would go, you know, again, I would have gone 
I go 54-58 at the moment, so 50-54-58. But, you know, obviously keeping that gapping. And again, the reason I say I would always suggest someone have an extra wedge rather than an extra hybrid is because when you look at what you can save at that wedge area in terms of strokes on a golf course to how often you hit, if you, let's say, for example, you know, you're talking someone that's shorter that carries a three and a four hybrid, how often they hit, if they take out the four hybrid, how many times in a round they would have needed that four hybrid? Yeah. How many times in a round they would have needed that three hybrid if they took that out? Compared and and what the 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 negative would be is if you don't have a three hybrid and you hit the four hybrid, you know, are you going to lose shots compared to not having a fifty eight or a sixty in your bag to be able to hit it out of a bunker or hit it over a bunker and keep it on a green? Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense to me. You know, I'm fortunate enough to be having these conversations every day and people always look at me blankly when we talk about gapping um, and you know my first question is around the other end of their bag and, and I usually go straight to the driver and say well, let's let's take me through the top end of your bag from your driver down and really trying to hone in on what they're carrying at the top of the bag so then to build a solution at the bottom end of the bag so without understanding the top you know it's hard to understand the bottom and you know really trying to find out you know, where their strong points are at that top end of the bag. So absolutely, you know, and, and I led you to a conclusion, which I thought, but I didn't want to sort of lead with it. And, and I agree, you know, probably having that third wedge uh, is more likely going to give you options around the green to save shots. And, you know, when we get to now the discussion around bounce, it gives you another option of bounce and bounce suitability that might allow just for that, you know, one or two percent of time when you need not a low low bounce club, but you need something with a bit of higher bounce. And if you've only got the two and not the three, sometimes you might be missing out and, and putting yourself in that scoring zone in a compromised position. So so let's say that we've got a, a three wedge set up past our forty something degree pitching wedge. Yep. So you've got a gap wedge. And that gap wedge is what traditionally a fifty or a fifty two, yeah? That's correct, yeah. And traditionally, the bounce on a bounce profile on a gap wedge is fairly consistent. You know, between a 50 and 52, you know, it's a fuller, fuller um, bounce club. Yeah. Then we get into the what otherwise known as a, a sand wedge sort of loft area, 54, 56, and then you go into that lob wedge and higher lofted club, 58, 60. So before yeah. we talk about the combos, what is bounce? Describe bounce in a very easy to understand way for a listener who comes into a golf shop and says, "Tell me about bounce and grind." Uh, the the easiest way would be the angle between the leading edge and the back of the sole of the golf club. So that big knob on the bottom of the golf club when you put that down on a flat bit of board or the concrete or the ground. Yep. Yeah. So the angle. Yes. Oh, where's the, the angle? angle where's the, the angle? Back of the front of it. Right, okay. So, so if, if you've got um, 12 degrees of bounce on something, yes, you have a bigger gap between the back of the knob of the bounce and the leading edge when you were standing in the club in the playing position. Is that correct? 
That's correct. So, um, which obviously will then give you the the toe of the of the or the leading edge will be sitting higher uh, off the ground on a you know on a hard surface like that. You will be able to see that 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 leading edge is sitting higher off the ground. So, if we go to the the gap wedge, why are there yep. less bounce options in a gap wedge? Um, well, traditionally with a gap wedge, we're still hitting full shots with it. So it's still going to be, um, you know, played pretty much the same all the time um, and not hit out of bunkers. It's, you know, it's going to be played like a pitching wedge. Um, so we're not going to do as much finessing, as much opening and closing and doing things like that. Um and we're probably picking it off the ground a little more as well. Mm-hmm. So that fuller, fuller shot, you know, you're going to have more turf interaction and, and you know, coming down with a full swing club so that you want that club to work through the divot and not get yep. caught and get a, you know, even in the less than perfect contact, you know, still give you the best opportunity to contact the ball with a, a high degree of efficacy and therefore generate the most amount of best flight and spin characteristics. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. And, you know, for example, you know, I know that our, our 50 and 52 have eight degrees of bounce. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, you know, we do, uh, we do a 52 that has 12 degrees of bounce as well. So, um, but then when you get up to, you know, the 60s, we do a, a four, eight and 11. So, you know, it's, it's kind of in the middle of that range of a 60 degree. So, um, you know, again, it's, it's pretty. It doesn't need to be as versatile when you're talking about a gap wedge and a pitching wedge. And again, when when you look at a, a set of golf clubs um, and the data, you, you actually won't. It'll, you'll struggle to find the bounce on a seven iron or the bounce on a wedge or a bounce on a four iron. Yep. Um, but once we start to get into specialty wedges, you know, they start to put that sort of thing on. So then. You know, what should someone have in a bounce profile through, you know, the rest of the other scoring clubs? So you've got the sand wedge or the 54, 56, and then the, then the lob wedge category. What Should they have the same if they're, if they're um, high bounce look, or should they have the low bounce or low bounce in one, high bounce in the other, or, you know, should different grinds? I, I definitely, um, when I'm doing fittings, I, I it's about asking the questions and especially you know, playing in different spots and, as I mentioned before, playing at Woodland where it's tight, where you don't want too much bounce or you're not going to be able to um, get good face contact on, on pitch shots and bunker shots with firm bunkers. Um, but you do need to have some versatility in there as well. So, um, and again, if there's, if there's three grinds, I wouldn't suggest that somebody would have all three of them Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of a, a low bounce, a high bounce, and a medium bounce. Um, but again, looking at the angle of attack of pitch shots and chip shots that people are using, you may go have, you know, a high bounce and a mid bounce, or a low bounce and a mid bounce. But you do need to have some versatility there again, because if I moved from here and I went up and played the New South Wales PGA at the Vintage um, in New South Wales in the Hunter Valley and God's country where Roscoe's spent a fair bit of time. Um, a hood. That is you know, a hood. Yeah. Um, you know, with a lot of soft sand at the vintage. 
um, you know, like we would consider a traditional American golf course. Um, so with low bounce wedges, it's really hard to control bunker shots to stop them digging into the ground. Um, you know, and obviously technique comes into it, but if I had, you know, if I sent my dad up there with low bounce wedges, he'd be in all sorts of strife. So, so just just to articulate that again, so the low the low bounce wedge in a, in the soft sand environment, the leading edge is going to, you know, enter the sand in that sort of inch behind the 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 ball where we're taught to enter the sand the sand wedge or bunker shot club, and yes. and without the bounce, it's just going to bury like a knife into you know butter, and you're going to lose all of your momentum and you're going to have that sort of flop shot. Is that correct? And that's what you're saying. Yeah. yeah? Yeah, and that's and again that's that's the the downside of having little bounce on a on a golf club is that it really can dig into any sort of surface and you know tight lies or soft ground it can do the same thing so not just in bunkers but you know hitting chip shots and pitch shots that front front edge can dig in and um, so so knowing that and looking so with my fitting I will get people to hit some pitch shots and some full shots with their wedges of how they would hit it on the golf course. Um, I certainly think that wedge fitting moving forward will be the next big thing um, in teaching people how to get the gap in right and how to get the bounce right. Mm -hmm. And also shafts, which, you know, again, we've spoken before about this, you know, how do you find the right shaft do you match it up with the rest of the set? What's the best way uh, to have somebody, you know, get in the right wedges in their bag? And and it may be a different wedge setup to their iron setup. So it may be Cobra with Cleveland or, you know, Cleveland with Cobra or whatever. So, you know, if you're using different shafts, what is the, the right shaft to have in? And, Wedge shafts are a, a popular thing at the moment. Um, so what's it, what's it essentially the difference between a wedge shaft and an iron shaft? You know, KBS Tour, you've got, let's say, you've got a set of irons and you have yeah. uh, KBS Tour stiff. What would you then look towards having in your wedge set? Yeah, and it's a good question because we know that um, in the past, Dynamic Gold has been, you know, a huge wedge shaft in the market, a huge wedge shaft, and, and it continues to be. Where a lot of people aren't using Dynamic Gold shafts, um, it becomes a bit of a weight thing. Um, and I know I've spoken to you in the past also about the flex of the shaft and that you'd like to have a little bit more softness and, and feel in a wedge shaft. Um there's no perfect scenario to it at the moment. Obviously, the wedge shafts that are in most of the wedges tend to be pretty generic in that they probably sit halfway between a stiff and a regular. Um, and so they do have a, a little bit more feel for that chipping shot. And traditionally, we're not hitting our wedges as and loading them as hard as we're hitting um, our full shot. Uh, so I won't usually if, if, if I fit someone into clubs that are two degrees upright in their iron, I won't go that full two degrees upright in their wedges because they're getting, as I said, they're not loading the shaft as much. 
they're not getting as much um, toe droop, so they're not going to need as, the clubs as upright as they would with their nine iron, their wedge through to their four iron or what. So that, that's a that's uh, a really important part, which which I'm still not convinced that uh, a lot of people um, are getting you know, the full understanding of, of the importance of being fit for a wedge in that example that you just raised. So. You know, you've got that player that is two degrees upright, so a little bit steep, maybe a little bit over the top, you know, hits the cut or whatever, you know, they, but they bring in, bring the handle in a bit high and, you know, they need a, a little bit more upright. But we don't get their wedges, and especially their sand wedge and their lob wedge in that two degrees upright. Now, for me, when I'm doing a wedge fitting, I'm always getting someone to play their shots as they play on the bunker or as they play a chip shot or a pitch shot and different distances. And I'm trying to get an idea of where they're soling um, the bounce through those shots because that they're, they're coming in and they might have already bought a set of clubs and have a set of clubs and say, you know, I'm, I'm a quarter inch longer and I'm two degrees upright, so, you know, just that'll do. That's all good. And I say, hey, hey, hold on. And we just go through that process and identify that, you know, when it comes down to their um, lob wedge, they actually need a degree flat. Yeah, because they, mm. they, you know, they got a wide stance. Their hands are low. They're playing that, you know, nice, you know, sand belt type of, you know, flatter type of um, shot off the harder sand. And um, had we just gone two degrees upright through the whole set, they would not have had a club suitable for playing that type of shot. So it's really important to understand the difference between your full swing club lie angle and then the wedge lie angle, and that can change from. Gap wedge, sand wedge, lob wedge as well. That, am I wrong? Yeah. Am I wrong in saying that? That's no, no, hundred percent. I think you know that, and that is knowing exactly what. And like you said, going through each club and asking them to hit the shot that they would hit with it. So you know, it's really important to to fit the club for what it's going to be used for. So I guess lastly. So I think we've given everyone so far a good understanding that the gapping is important and I think everyone's got enough of a head around that at the moment, you know, because it's pretty often talked around gapping. Um, you know, getting the bounce correct for either your playing type, of playing conditions. So if you're playing sand belt where it's a little firmer in the bunker, a little maybe firmer off the, off the fairways, um, or if you're playing in, you know, conditions where it's soft, kaikuyu, um, soft sand, like New South Wales, or wet conditions, you know, where it's maybe a little bit wetter for half of the year. You know, you've got a wet winter um, in the country, country Victoria, for example. You know, it's important to have wedges that suit those conditions. So the bounce is really important to, you know, correlate to the conditions and your shot type. If you're steeper, if you're a sweeper, or um, you know, understanding. Yeah, hundred percent. And all of those um, areas come into play when trying to fit them. That it's, yeah. it's not going to be. If you play at Vanilla, you need this. If you play at Woodlands, you need this. It's, if you play at Vanilla and your seat, if you play at Woodlands and your seat, it's uh, that whole you know scenario of getting it right and asking those questions and, and being qualified correctly for what you're after. So grind, where does grind fit in all that? You know, so you, know, you guys have got the versatile grind and the what are other grinds called? We have the, the classic versatile and wide low, and again, they they obviously mix it up. And with the notch that we have um, in the back of our our wedges, 
it allows for a bit more versatility as well. Um, and again, asking the, the question of what shots you hit with your wedges, do you play with low hands, do you do this, do you have toe downs when you're chipping from close to the green, do you grip down and hit those shots? Those questions will then help with finding the right grind. And our grinds obviously will have different bounces, um, which, you know, so if you're after a high bounce, it, it's going to be in a classic grind, yep. which is, you know, a, a narrower uh, sole with a bit more bounce. Okay. Um, so, you know, it's asking the questions and it's looking at it as well and, and looking on the shelf and picking them up and understanding what it also does is it gives you a better understanding, and it should, of how the club's meant to be used on the ground. And we're not always shutting it down and digging the toe into the ground. So, you know, that's pretty important as well. Very good, Tim. Uh, we've made a big change at our place is in um, the fact that we are now carrying wedges for people to test. It's something that we never did, you know, and if they did want to test it, um, you know, we put a bit of plastic around it and, you know, to sell those new so now we've got pretty much a, a comprehensive suite of wedges because it is a growing area of importance um to as people grow their knowledge and of fitting and the importance of it we've we're now fully fitting for wedges in uh, in allowing people to test them so yeah it's a it's a big thing um all right you've got some new products coming out one of those new products fits into a category of of irons that is probably a newish category, a newer category? Yeah, it certainly is. You know, that, that the player's distance iron is something that is growing and, um, and definitely a category that a lot of people fit into. So what, um, what's, your, what's your player's distance iron called, your new one? The one you just I've seen in every, the, mag, every magazine that I, and website that I've turned on has, has had that there. Yeah, so um, November 1, the new King Forge Tech uh, iron will be coming out, which is, you know, our player's distance iron. Um, and I suppose the category is a club that plays like a cavity iron but doesn't look like a cavity iron. So, it, it you know, it, it looks like a muscle back, um, but it certainly, you know, it plays like a cavity. It, it certainly does have distance and being um, foam filled, being a hollow iron that's foam filled, it allows you to um, obviously get distance out of the club face um, and huge ball speed. So that's where it plays a little bit different to the traditional, um, you know, oversized cavity back iron. Um, and, it, you know, it, it certainly it looks sleeker, it looks cleaner. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's obviously something that's going to be here to stay and here for a while. But, um, you know, we're really excited about ours and um, it's had some great reviews. Uh, and so it's, it's probably something. So it's hollow. Yeah, it's hollow. hollow. Yeah, so ours, it's hollow. Um, you'll notice that a number of the in this category will have, um, you know, a screw or a hole in the in the toe where they can fill the the cavity. Um, we fill it with a microsphere foam that expands when it goes in there, so um, which helps fine tune the acoustics. Otherwise, it'll sound really hollow and high pitched. 
So using a, a foam in there, and ours has a forged face. So the foam gives it, um, you know, that acoustic to make it sound like you want a player's iron to sound and feel. Um, but the ball speed kind of bananas in terms of how far it goes. So does the foam have any beneficiary, bene, 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 beneficial is the word that I think I'm listening looking for, beneficial. Beneficial effect on ball speed. Does it support that forged face? Does it provide any any you know structure no, behind it, it? Or is it just purely acoustic? No, it, it, it's purely acoustic and feel. Um, you know, we have uh, the PowerShell face. Which, so the face is, is fully supported from the PowerShell um, and the design of the club, but just the acoustics need to be tightened up. Otherwise, it will just, you know, sound like a, a hollow iron, um, which, again, which is fine. And people, there will be people out there that wouldn't notice it. But being a player's iron and what it's aimed at, it needs to have good acoustics. And those acoustics give that sound and that feel as well. So, you know, obviously it's a forged face, but if you've got a forged face and a hollow sound, to our brain, it'll feel like it's hard. Yeah. So when we talk about player's iron, so we're talking about uh, blade length or club head length that's you know, traditionally a little bit shorter so than, than a um, you know, super game improvement or a game improvement iron, so a little bit shorter and a little bit less offset. Is that correct? Yeah. So I would say the main difference would be a little less offset um, and... Um, no cavity in the back. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think that they've kept the, the same, well, in terms of the from heel to toe length, um, they've kept that the same because they know that with that becomes forgiveness. So we still want to have some forgiveness in here. Otherwise, people, you know, are going to move into a blade. But yeah. This gives the best of both worlds in that it looks like a blade, it feels like a blade, it sounds like a blade, but it plays and you know, goes like a cavity, like a like a game improvement club. Well, not a game improvement, but, um, you know, a cavity club. It's a really, really growing segment. It's still some technology that people ask a lot about. And, you know, I guess the important part that they hear in this category is high ball speeds, you know, long distance um, and no um, loss of feel. So, you know, they can still make a shot you know, they're getting towards that better player. Um, maybe a little bit of distance help would be a good thing, but they can still still make a make a shape shot um, where needed. Yeah, but, and definitely definitely keeping spin up is a, um, a vital importance when we're looking at this area. So we don't want you know, we don't want our seven iron spinning like a six iron and going like a six iron. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it is a six iron. Yep. Um, yeah. So that's pretty important to make sure that. You know, we can get it to still launch like a seven iron, spin like a seven iron, but go six iron distance. I don't, so, um, I don't know the and, lo- I don't know the loss of the the um, forge tech, but I'm going to assume that you know, like the seven iron loft is is a little stronger. Yeah, seven iron loft twenty nine and a half degrees, which is you know that's a, a strong loft um, for that sort of iron. Um, you know, and it obviously. It's got less loft, which is therefore going to help it go a further distance. And when you compare that to our forward CBMB, which is 34 degrees, mm-hmm. 
Um, but because of the tungsten weighting, we can have the ball go up in the air. So the launch angle of both of those clubs will be pretty similar. Yeah. So you've got one at under 30 degrees and one at 34 degrees that are going to launch at the same and spin roughly the same. But the ball speed out of, uh, out of Forge Tech is going to be far greater than a Forge CBMB type client. So it's also, an, but it is another often misunderstood, uh, you know, fact that, you know, the manufacturers are increasing, you know, making lofts stronger. But what people, you know, need to, I guess, help understand is that the launch of the, with the technology the, the, of the clubs, um, they do launch higher. These players, um, yeah, cavity and, irons, launch, launch higher. So you're getting it through that right seven iron window. But just by generation of the ball speed, that you're getting another, you know, whatever percentage in distance. Yeah, and that's important, you know, to to obviously look at, at distance, but launch and spin uh, and ball speed, um, you know, because when they when they're making irons, they're trying to make those that seven iron window correct. So, um, and I'll touch on a little bit of some of our other products that's going to come out, but you know. I spoke about that, you know, the difference that one's at 29 and a half and one's at 34. You know, our super game improvement iron, um, being the, the airspeed iron, the seven iron in that's 31 and a half degrees. Yeah, right. So, again, we know that the person using this has slower swing speed, so they actually need some help getting the ball in the air. Mm-hmm. But we don't want to, we don't want to, you know, and they call it an industry, they'll say Jack, you know, Jack the, um, the loft. Well, now, we'll keep these closer to traditional loss because we know we need these guys need help getting the ball in the air. Um, you know, and again, the same with the T-rail is because it's a hybrid iron set, it's at 30 degrees because it's going to help get the ball in the air anyway. So it's about finding the optimum loss to the seven iron for the club that's built, the design of it, and who's going to use it. So it's not all about just getting it down as low as possible and seeing how far you can hit a seven iron. It's about making the club hit it through that seven iron window for who's going to hit it. So it still lands on the green and stops within reason. That's that's, that's the, correct, yeah. yeah. Mate, yep. you know, I just want to point out to, to everyone listening that this isn't an ad for your, your company or products, but you know, as a friend of the podcast, you've agreed to come on and I could only give you, uh, rightly so, the opportunity to talk about the Cobra products. There is one that I want to talk to specifically, and that's the new one, the Baffler hybrid yeah. hybrid iron set. So, and the part that I, I guess I want you to help me explain is the the rail system on there because there's there's quite a good connection to Australian golf history in the Cobra rail system. So, firstly, tell us what that new product is, and then let's talk about the rail system and and what that connection is. Yeah, yeah. So, um, again, November 1, um, the new T-Rail irons will be out, um, which is a, a hybrid iron set. So, from four iron right through to sandwich in a hybrid design iron to obviously give optimal launch forgiveness for a slower swing speed person, for someone who wants to be able to get the ball in the air very easy. So, um, and they have the baffle rails on the bottom of the iron. Um, and you spoke about, you know, about the baffler rails and 
and where it comes from. And even, I suppose, Cobra as a company, um, so back 1973, uh, Tom Crow, um, an Australian amateur champ, um, basically, you know, he made a, a company, made Cobra Golf in 73. Um, and the story goes in 1975, he was at Sydney Harbour watching the yacht on the harbour um, and watching catamarans on the harbour and how they glo- they went through the water and thought that the catamaran design would be good on a golf club to help go through the turf. So he basically designed the baffler um, for better turf interaction to glide through the grass. It doesn't dig in as much and there's less loss of club head speed. So, again, that was 1975, which is 44 years ago, right? Um, it's a long time. And it's been within Cobra. It's moved in and out and moved in and out. Um, and then I know we brought it back in in F7, um, which was three years ago. And, you know, I've seen prototypes that Ricky had, you know, because Tom Crow had gone in and seen him and, um, you know, they were like, you know, you need to get baffler rails on your fairway woods. It'll be great for Augusta. Um, for hitting high, soft shots at Augusta into 13 and 15. So, you know, again, it's, it's something, and I know you've seen um, baffler at work. Um, but with this iron, having that rail on the bottom will be able to, from any sort of lie, so from tight lies, it allows you to get the ball up in the air. And from the rough, it allows the club to glide through um, the grass really easily. So we're really excited about it. Um, we've already started fitting some at some fitting days, um, just with uh, our demos, and had a, a tremendous response from it already we've yeah it's it's different there's no one else on the market that does obviously the baffler rails um and it's just a a cool product that you know again it's not for everybody um we have baffler rails on our fairways and hybrid on s9 at the moment but to have it in an iron um will be you know really cool and really neat and you know for something that's 44 years old um, and still working and they're still refining it, um, you know, it's pretty exciting. Must mean that it works. It, must, it certainly does work. And, you know, it, it, it shows that it works. And there's been other products that have come out on the market that have used similar things, um, you know, and that, that shows that people have, have wanted to use that sole design, um, you know, Taylor made back in the late 90s, did it as well. Um, I remember the original rescue wood, as they called, and they were the first guys to bring out a, you know, what you would call a rescue was that copper and black one with a bubble shaft. Oh, yeah, um, yep, yep. Uh, and that had that same sort of sole design on it as well. Um, and through the ages, Cleveland have used a similar thing. Uh, Wilson have used a, a similar thing um, on the bottom of it. So, you know, I, I think it's great. 
and looking at it. And when I'm showing people, you know, the first thing they notice on the bottom are the baffler rails. Um, and as I said, to have it in a in a hybrid iron uh, is really neat. And I think it's probably something that people won't be running into stores to buy. But it's the sort of thing when people are in stores and hit it, they'll be amazed at the results they get from it. Timmy, thanks for talking to us about Tom Crow's original design and how that is still <laughs> such a strong part of Cobra DNA. And, you know, it's actually quite uh, – it's quite good to see that the, the brand has stuck with that and and keep it part of your product DNA. It's, it's good. They haven't let it go. And, uh, you know, it's a good little bit of Australian history that Tom Crow was the founder of Cobra in Australia and um, – there you go. It came from the, the catamarans on the harbour. Who would have ever thought Catamarans on the harbour. Wowee. Now, mate, um, just before I let you go, you had a bit of a trip recently and you got to play some exciting golf in the States. I always like to talk to people when they've played at an interesting golf course. So where did you go, mate? Were you over there playing poker? Uh, I was over there. I actually did play a bit of poker. We, yeah. we had a sales conference um, in the Ojai Valley, which is about two hours north of Los Angeles. Um, so uh, one of the other sales reps and I, we went over early, uh, headed to Sin City to play some golf and get some sunshine. It was 42 degrees every day and fantastic. Um, and we played two amazing golf courses and completely different in their own different way. So um, the first one we played, we played Wolf Creek, uh, which is about an hour out of Las Vegas. And it was unbelievable. Um, like built through craters, the elevation changes and how they built this golf course was, I, I can't get my head around how they built it. The guy that built it, it was his first, or designed it, his first golf course he ever designed. Um, and there was three tee boxes that have a little hut up on the tee boxes that house the mowers because you can't actually get up there to mow the tees. So they leave a mower up on three different tee boxes to be able to mow the tees. Um, and just, you need to Google it. Just Google this Wolf Creek um, and have a look at the, the aerial photos. Have a look at the photos. And if you're over there, it, you know, it's not super expensive and it's well worth the drive to go out there and play. Just, you'll need to hire a car. Um, but, it was such a fun day. Um, how, how far outside of Vegas? How, how long is the drive to it's get an there? Hour, right on an hour it took us. So is it? Has it got a town as its base, or is it? Yeah, a... um, Mesquite is the town. Right. Okay. So there's, yeah. there's like three golf courses there, but um, yeah, there's a, a town there, um, and I don't know how they have three golf courses, but there's three golf courses, and this one's an absolute beauty. So is that at altitude? Uh, yeah, Vegas is at altitude. It's it's pretty high up. When you we drove from LA, um, we hired a car and drove from LA to Vegas, and it literally felt like the whole way we were driving uphill. Yeah, Kept really. going up and up and up and up. I think Vegas is. I know it's over three thousand feet above sea level. Um, it's the ball goes miles in Vegas, especially well, that time of year. Well, that's what I was asking because when you say mesquite, you know, I always equate that to where they 
you know, have the uh, Remax World Long Drive Championship on the you know footy field there, and you know, dudes are bombing at like four hundred and twenty yards. Yeah, so, that's why. Yeah, right. Bob Beeman could break a world record there still. <laughs> hey, so where um, where else did you play? Uh, so the other place, um, one of our mutual friends, Jamie Glazier, uh, he had a contact to get us on a golf course in Las Vegas, which is like nothing I've ever seen before. Um, a great golf course within itself. 95 members and just super, super exclusive. Um, and from the moment you drove in, just service like you've never seen. Um and uh, you get, after six holes, there's a comfort station, they call it. It literally had an open bar of every beer, every alcoholic beverage you could think of, spirit, with a, a girl pouring drink, um, a, margar- a frozen margarita machine, food, snacks, ice cream, anything you want. Um, and this girl... She said she'd had a busy day. We were the third group through. Um, and her day consists of standing in this comfort station, serving about 15 people a day, looking over the Las Vegas Strip um, from an air-conditioned room. So pretty tough life. So um, does she move from comfort station to comfort station? So No, she stays in the same one. So there's um, there's three helpers at each of the comfort. If it's six, you know, it's hole six, hole twelve. Is there any other comfort stations? There's hole six, hole nine, and hole thirteen. So the same one, nine and thirteen. You come back to the right. one after nine onto thirteen. Well, that's, there's a bit more um, economic sense in that. Yeah, it's clever, <laughs> right? Um, and again, the same sort of thing. Frozen margaritas. This one has a chef that cooks your food. Um, the tenth tee shot's the hardest tee shot on the course. Um, so uh, Maddie made us order yeah. our food and keep going. It takes about about seven hours, six hours to play around um, because you, you usually stop in the comfort station for maybe twenty minutes, half an hour, um, and just relax in there because it's pretty hot outside. Um, and then we get to I think. The 11th is a really strong par three with a big dam out on the left-hand side. Um, and we play play the golf course and he says, um, do you want to go back and go do some fishing? So the big pond that's on the left-hand side of the 11th is a fully stocked lake. There's like a little um, fishing hut down there with a pier, fully stocked as everything you could want, alcohol, food, um, fishing equipment. And so we went down there and we fished for about a half an hour and had a couple more drinks and it was like this day was, it was kind of surreal. Like it was just like nothing you've seen. And we're driving, you know, we're playing the 12th hole and that's Celine Dion's house up there. And we were like, mm-hmm. Ben and I were like two kids in a candy store. So Literally, when you were fishing, was that still mid round, or you'd finished? No, it was. No, we finished. We, we finished and went fishing, but you could do it. You could do it mid round because it's literally there's no one out there. There's 95 members, and um, you know you just you've pretty much got the course to yourself. There was a group, and so we're the third group through. We hit off at about 
uh, 8.30, only because, it's, again, it's going to be 42 degrees, so I really want to be in the middle of the sun in the middle of the day. Um, I don't think anyone played after us. And quality of the golf course? So, you know, we've got all the accoutrements and the, uh, the fun yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's a really good golf course. Um, and, again, built up in up in the hill that looks over, over Las Vegas. Um, and, yeah, a good golf course and a good quality golf course as well. Like, you know, the, the condition of it was great um, and, you know, lots of really good holes on it. So, again, if they're going to – they don't sort of do things by halves there. So, um, they certainly, you know, they can they've got as much money as they want. They'll build a, a great golf course and, you know, make it functional and, and have the upkeep and there's plenty of water there somehow. And so, underground, um, bores, bore water yeah. out of the desert. So I said to everybody, make sure you go and play Wolf Creek. Mm-hmm. Well, unfortunately, you won't be able to go and play the summit because you need to know a member. Yeah, right. It's a very hard one to get on. I was very lucky. So, mate, while you were there at your uh, work event, yes, you had the good occasion to uh, catch up with another good friend of the podcast, Bryson DeChambeau. We did catch up with Bryson. Bryson was uh, was uh, was there, and he got up on stage and um, was making a speech. And to obviously the whole US sales team was there, which is about one hundred and sixty people, I think. Um, but he wasn't aware that also the South African team was there and the Australian team was there. And he was talking about the President's Cup and how he was ready to come down under and wipe the uh, internationals away and got a couple of boos from the crowd and then quickly worked out that there was some South Africans and Australians in the crowd and tried to backstep over it. Um, so uh, we had like a, I suppose, a little cocktail function afterwards and, we had a bit of a laugh about it, um, had a bit of a chat to him, and we've uh, we've got a a word for him, so he knows when he sees us out there, we'll we'll say this word to him, um, and he'll know who it is. So I can't tell you what it is, but uh, we've we've got a word that we'll be we'll be saying to Bryson, so he knows who it is, and we told him we're going to be getting stuck into him too, because <laughs> uh, he's coming down into our hood, and as as good a guy as he is, and um, He's uh, he's on the opposition team, so uh, we'll be getting stuck into him. So how, he, uh, how was he when you said we're, we're, we're into you, son? We are we are going to have you. He's a he's a great guy, and you know I follow him on Instagram. I think it's funny. A lot of people obviously rip into him, and and he like plays around with it. He doesn't take it to heart, and he plays around with it on Instagram. It, it's it's actually funny to watch the comments that he'll you know, come back with and, you know, just joke around with people and, um, you know, allow them to, to take the P155 out of him and he'll just kind of play with it and have fun with it. Um, it, it was an interesting one. So he, he was great, um, had a chat, had photos with us all. Um, and one of our, Brian, who is now your, uh, your Cobra guy, um, they have a mutual friend, um, who was riding a push bike across Pakistan. And Ryan FaceTimed this guy, and Bryson was talking to to Rennie in the middle of Pakistan on FaceTime. It was the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. 
So hang on, how does my guy Ryan know a guy riding through Pakistan that knows Bryson DeChambeau? What's the connection there? That's random. The uh, connection there is, so David Wren, who's, you know, people may know, but Dave used to run Albert Park Driving Range. Right. Uh, where Ryan used to work. Yep. Um, and Peach, and Rennie's a PGA member. Rennie has a mutual friend. So when um, Bryson came out and played the Australian Open, Australian Masters, maybe Australian Open, um, as an amateur, he stayed with Rennie. Um, and Rennie is, he's obviously he's interested in uh, in one length. He's also interested in uh, one plane golf machine. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have that mutual connection there. And um, yeah, so we, we were talking to Bryson about Rennie and, so Ryan decided that he'd give him a FaceTime call and he's halfway across Pakistan and had somehow had phone reception. Jeepers. I can't get it in the Burnley Tunnel, but um, <laughs> he can get it halfway across uh, Pakistan. Oh, I think it's Melbourne, the city of many tunnels by the uh, looks of uh, the place. There's more things being dug under the ground here than any- anywhere. Anyway, mate, that's um, sensational. That's uh, a great little insight into the world of Tim Wise, Cobra extraordinaire here in Melbourne, but uh, you know he's one of the the mainstays of the Cobra team. And as I said, it's it was just a great opportunity for you to come on and help us explain some of that product information primarily. But obviously, it was it was going to be a great time to for you to let us know that you've got some great new products. I've seen them, as I said, they're in every magazine, so it's hard not to see the new Cobra range at the moment. And um, it looks like and feels like really good stuff. So you know, go out and try it. Timmy, I appreciate your time, mate. And would you help us do another product segment again when the time is right? Anytime you would like. Thank long you, as sir. As long as listeners are okay with it, I'm happy to come back. long as who's okay? The listeners. No, no, the listeners will be great. They'll be wrapped. Uh, if you do have any questions for Tim that you would like answered either directly on the podcast or you would like him to answer them Personally, where can we find you, Tim? Uh, you can find me at Wise Guy Golf on Instagram. It's the easiest place to find me, or go through Roscoe. Okay, you can send us a send us a message on Instagram at My Love of Golf. You can Twitter us at My Love of Golf. You can email us at Ross at My Love of Golf dot com, or get hold of Timmy directly, Wise Guy Golf. Especially if you're a Cobra fan, Timmy will uh, have you going for ages. Timmy, thanks mate. Really appreciate your time and until next time on the Mile of Golf podcast, thank you once again sir. No, my pleasure. Okay, that's it and I'll see you next time.